0: Okay, I'm excited. I really want- Hello. Hello. You <laughs> just started it while Sorry, I was We're whining. We're here.
1: We're here. We're ready. Not really though, because I need to put some pics in here for reference. That's not bad. It's not bad at all, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So put that one that picture. <laughs> I love that. I don't know if I can do what I wanted to do. Colton's here. Okay, so what is what does that total mean? <laughs> I think total that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't, I don't give fucking it. know. My mom said she doesn't hear anything. Colton, can you hear us? I'll
0: text it. Can
1: anybody hear me? I was gonna have pics, but I can't figure out oh, okay, my mom said she does now. True. Oh hi. I wonder if I can copy and paste pictures. That could be a thing. We yeah. I don't even know what yours is about. You can't tell me. You're gonna be stoked. Actually, that's a really <laughs> fucked up thing to say because it's actually <laughs> really sad. Oh no. So I don't know why I would say that like that. I mean how do I pretty stoked. <sighs> One of these days I'll know what the hell I'm doing.
0: Probably not my bets on now.
1: Yeah, that's one of my bets. He's a cute kid. He's so cute. Damn. We can't share my pigs. That's okay. Is it? I don't know. It's gonna have to be, you know.
0: I will describe with my wonderful I like wonderful
1: descriptive adjectives. Verbs. Not verbs. I think I really just put them because it looks so professional. Like, doesn't yeah, looks look like you wrote like an article. A, Mine looks like a it? five-year-old typed on my computer for a couple like a minutes. hardcore, some real shit. Yeah. Okay. Should we start, you think? I think we probably should. Okay, deal. Who's here? Stoked. Wait, we have to
0: wait for my sister because she was upset that she joined late last time.
1: Okay, we'll just keep wasting time. Maybe I'll make a... a oh, I got an idea. I got an idea, friend. Security. I'm gonna make a... A document ooh. where I copy my pics it has
0: a and then I'll
1: share the link. And then if people uh. want to look at them, they can. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I hope everybody's Saturday is so good. I don't know what these pictures mean. They're sad pics. They're going to help describe what's going on. Because a lot of this is about how the couple, they're like a good looking young couple, and Excuse that's a like part that. of the story. So mm. I feel like you'll want to see what this good looking young couple looks like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whoa. For everybody listening, I'm so sorry. Podcast pictures, share. Get link. Copy that link copy this link okay so y'all can look at that google doc that i just put together in five seconds because it won't let me post my pictures in the podcast PG? PG. welcome all right so i shared a document just because a lot of this story um there's like a lot of quotes from different people that are like oh the young kid was so cute and he looked so happy and then Other parts are, like, the couple was such a young couple and such an attractive couple. And then there's another part that talks about the crime scene. And so I was, like, it's so visual that I feel like maybe people will want to know who these people are and what they look like. And then um, another aspect of the story is how big the family tree is. And so we went ahead and made a document. I got to give people permission. We did nothing. You did it. Oh, yeah, true. That's okay, though. Share. Share, share, share. Colton has access. It's so annoying that it won't let me just. Share to all. Yeah. Okay. So this story, I've been doing bad lately about um, finding stories based on, like, Netflix documentaries and podcasts that other people have done but I feel like true crime is just getting so big that everyone's
0: done something on everything
1: yeah you just can't really not Caitlin you might have to request access I don't know why it won't just like here I can
0: just send you pictures on my phone
1: oh 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 Oh, I fixed it I fixed it anyone with the
0: link look at you knowing how to work the computer
1: Try it again. I fixed it. I changed the setting so anybody with the link can view the document. So, yeah, I've been stealing a lot of my ideas in a way from like other podcasts and Netflix documentaries and Hulu shit. But I feel like true crime has blown up and like I feel like for the most part, except maybe like hometown murders and, you know, things like that. A lot of the big cases that are so intricate and are so interesting and got so big in the media they're already done because yeah. they were so
0: big. So, I, even a lot of the hometown ones, like even the one I'm doing, that's like very local. Yeah, it's people have done videos and podcasts really? on it. Not, yes. not nearly as many as most. Yeah, but, but it's mean, other it's still popular Know what it is? Yeah. So somebody else has already talked about it.
1: So I feel like we're always going to run into that. So what I've been trying to do lately, like with my last case, being it's kind of funny actually, it's two French cases in a row. But the Sophie Duplantier, she, hers was kind of Irish in a sense, but she was French. Yeah. This case is like straight out of France. Oh. And there's a super good Netflix documentary all about this case. It's called Who Murdered Little Gregory? And I think a lot of people maybe that are interested in t- true crime might not have watched it because um, it looks like it's going to be in French. But mm. really, if you keep watching it, it's, like, voiced over the entire time by somebody speaking English. So anytime that they're speaking French, which is through most of it, there's an English person talking exactly and, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. like, reading it back. So it's actually easy to watch. uh, And it's, like, I want to say it's either four or six episodes. Did you say it was on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's really good. So let me get on into it. So this case is about a young boy and – This one's actually like I was kind of nervous to do it because it's actually kind of dark. Like it's pretty dark, and I feel like any story that involves like a young kid is kind of gonna be that way. Yeah. You know. So. I mean,
0: all murder is
1: dark. There are different darkness levels, but. Yeah, like I feel like there's different like levels of severity in a way. So I'm gonna go in depth, and I'm gonna read a lot from my notes because it's a long intricate story with a lot of factors and I want to try to get through as much as possible. So I'm just going to kind of read but I'll pause and so we can chat about some of the mystery to it. Does that kind of make sense? Okay so I think I'm going to mispronounce his last name because I did good with um, Sophie Duplantier but these are a lot of French names so I will do my best. Um, So this story revolves around a young couple named Jean-Marie Viaman. And Christine Vialman, they got married fairly young. Um, so Jean Marie worked in a factory in a small town called Le Ponge. Um So the newspapers and media sources have said that Jean Marie and Christine were pretty young to be in the position they were in financially. So Le Pange, a lot of the people that live in this town, they work in the local factory, which I feel like is kind of common for the 70s and 80s, and even in America, we've got entire towns and cities that are based around like the local warehouse or the local factory yeah, or right. you know what I mean even Ogden probably used to be like that with like the different industries that we have there mm-hmm. so pretty much everybody in this town worked in the factory it was just like there was nowhere else really to work and that's what the young men did is they worked in the factory so um Jean-Marie lives in La with pretty much his entire family um, and so it's like they all were born and raised in this small town in France, and this is where they grew up, and that's where their roots are, and that's where they all stay. So he's got some seventy plus family members living wow. in—I don't—I'm gonna make this up, but <laughs> it's like I would say like a fifty-mile radius. So they don't all live right in La Ponge, but very close to each other. So Jean Marie ends up getting promoted to foreman, which is basically um, a position that is in management. And so this raise that he gets gives him like a substantial financial bonus as well. So it's kind of like Jean-Marie and many of his relatives all worked here together. They were not well off, but Jean-Marie's promotion to foreman kind of put him in a financial um, class above the rest of his family. And in some scenarios, parts of his family were probably super happy for him and excited, but you're always going to have members of the family that are jealous and maybe a little bit bitter, especially because he was only 26 years old. Mm -hmm. And I think he's 26 years old at the time of the incident that we're gonna discuss, but I would guarantee that means his promotion came before that. So he could have been promoted at 25 or 24, um, and he's getting promoted above like 40 year old, 50 year old, 60 year old members in his family. So I can imagine it didn't always sit well. And there were members of his family that were actually quite vocal about the fact that they didn't think he deserved it. That's so rude. Yeah. And it's like they're a, a new couple. Um, and so it's kind of like what a way to start your mm-hmm. like new life together, you know, with parts of your family looking down on you. For being successful. Yeah.
0: Rude.
1: So Jean-Marie and Christine had a child together fairly quickly after they got married. He was born in 1980. His name was Gregory Viaman, and he was a really happy young boy. And the family very quickly moved into a brand new house in the heights of Le Pont. So in a matter of months, Jean-Marie had lost his lower class roots and had undeniably risen to a station that most of his family had not seen. Over the course of Gregory's short life, Christine and Jean-Marie were plagued by harassing phone calls at all hours of the night. So this is like a really important part of this case because basically Jean-Marie and Christine get married very quickly they have a son very quickly he's promoted they move into this fancy house and shortly after this you know huge life change they start receiving these calls and they're always from the same person it's a male voice and they start out like thinking that this is just prank calls and it's just somebody that's jealous but it starts escalating, and this lasts for like I want to say four years. And, and they never
0: figured out who it was within mm-hmm. the four years, or
1: not really. Like never I think, really
0: looked into it too hard.
1: I think Jean Marie like had his suspicions, but you really like like if you listen to the Netflix documentary, um, it's kind of like tough. It's like he's muffling his voice. Like he's not using like an audio device or anything, but you can tell he's like deliberately masking his voice. Mm. So it's kind of hard, you know, to really know. So it's really, really, it's kind of sick in a way. So in the phone calls, he would say things like he will have his coffin and then hang up and then he'd call again and he'd say, others will know where you live and he'd hang up. Um, Sometimes the phone calls were really long where he would just derate them and just say awful things like wishing bad will on them. And like, it was really sick. And so Christine, I mean, she's a young woman she was 24 when she had Gregory, by all accounts. Well, actually, she was 20. So that's a fairly young mom yeah, that's pretty young. living in a new home with a, in a place maybe she didn't grow up here. Like, this is just a lot, you know? Uh-huh. So um, they were harassed from 1981 to 1984. Christine lived in constant fear of the caller, who eventually escalated to even sending anonymous letters. So the six-part Netflix documentary says that this caller – who is known to the investigation as the Raven simply walked into their lives one day and wreaked havoc on them. At the peak of this harassment, they could receive up to twenty-seven phone calls a day. Jeez. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty bad. So the Raven would mention past family disputes, secrets, and other personal information in his calls. In the letters, um, Jean. Somebody
0: that knows them.
1: Yeah, and that's like fairly
0: closely. Yeah, least. so
1: you got to think it's got to be either a family member or somebody that works in the factory, or somebody in the family's general friend, Friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Jean-Marie Villamon had a very large family, many of which lived locally. Using these family nuances, he was able, the, the raven, was able to cause huge rifts among family members and used constant manipulation to pit them against each other. The raven did not just call the family. He targeted many members of, like, the big family, so it wasn't just mm-hmm. like Jean Marie and Christine that were being called. He was calling like the Vielmont family as a whole, and it even goes to say that he was calling people that were family friends. And so he really, really was targeting the immediate family, like Gregory's family. But mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was like this huge spider web of like harassment. So um, That's some
0: determination.
1: Yeah, and it's like for what? Right because you're jealous or something? Like, it just sounds so pathetic. Bitty. Yeah. Really petty. Yeah. So, basically, the way that this was going, the raven would call, and Christine and um, Jean-Marie, they would get, like, a little heated, but for the most part would keep their composure when the raven called. And it wasn't until the raven started pressing harder on threatening Jean-Marie's son, Gregory. And so, basically, it kind of seems like the raven was looking for ways to like fucking piss him off mm-hmm. and when he started bringing up gregory and threatening him and saying he was going to kill him
0: obviously it, started, it would
1: yeah it started like jean marie like lost his temper and so some of the investigators and the people that are interviewed in the documentary say this could have like not that it's Jean Marie's fault but the fact that he reacted it was like a clue to the raven like That's this is of, how i get to it and so at, when he realized him being the Raven that Gregory was a touchy subject because it's his kid, yeah. it kind of made it progress even further. And so oh. the like the threats just began escalating. Um, so on March 4th, 1983, they received a handwritten letter from the Raven that said, "Viamon family, I will murder you. If you don't comply, I will make good on the threat that I made to the boss. And the boss is a term that was used by, Um, Jean-Marie's family and his co-workers because he was the foreman. He was the boss. Mm. So at times it could be a term of endearment. At times it could be a sarcastic thing to call him. But it was just a known nickname for him, whether it was bad or good. So he says, I will make good on the threats that I made to the boss and about him and his little family. It's your choice, life or death. This was just over a year and a half before the incident that we're going to get into. After this letter is sent, the raven goes quiet for a year and a half. So over the course of the year and a half, the family finally starts to relax. They believe that the raven is finished and maybe had grown bored with his harassment. Um, And they felt that way until about October 16th, 1984. So on October 16th, Christine Viamen had allowed four-year-old Gregory to go out and play outside near the home. She had put a nice wool cap on him to keep him warm and had gone back into the home to finish up some housework. And some people, like, poke at this and say, why would you let a four-year-old play outside alone? But if you look at the map of where she lives, they live in a brand-new suburb. And so there's maybe five houses total on a cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. And I think some of them are actually even vacant. Nobody's even moved in. And this suburb is so new that, like, they're one of the first families there. And so they would often let him play outside and they would leave the front door open. And the way that their kitchen was situated was the big kitchen window that a lot of houses have in front of the sink um, led to the front yard. Yeah, so, so she could keep an eye. Yeah, so she was like, oh, he's just going to play in the front yard. He's got his wool cap on. I'm going to leave the front door open so we can just come back in, and I'm just going to do dishes and clean up the kitchen because the big-ass window's right there. Yeah. So some people say that this is negligent. I think that we don't know them. And but also that,
0: it's, like, a different time, and I feel like yeah. it was way more common for little kids to go play outside yeah. by themselves.
1: hmm And he, by all accounts from friends and family, Gregory was an extremely smart kid. To the point that even when the raven would call and the phone would ring, the kid knew that like when the phone rings, my parents get upset. Uh And at times he would hear like them yelling at the guy. And so when the raven would call to harass them and like Christine would get this look on her face of like dread, um, little Gregory would be like, is that the man? Uh So it's like he knew, you know, so he was an intelligent kid. And I think they just it was like you said, a different time. So this is on the 16th. She lets him go outside to play. She goes into the house to finish up some housework. Um, A little bit of time passes by. I don't know exactly when, um, but she feels like it's getting a bit late. She needs him to come back inside. It's getting dark, you know, things like that. So she goes outside of the home thinking she would see him playing in the front yard or maybe on the side, and he's nowhere to be found. So it's probably about... 5.30, 5.30, 6 p.m. when she makes the discovery and sees that he's not there. And as a mother, she immediately starts panicking and involves the police. So over the course of the evening, the police start investigating due to the obviously strange circumstances and what looks to be foul play. Um, and on top of all of this, it Gregory was taken in broad daylight. So for him to have just wandered off, somebody would, would have see seen him somewhere. Yeah. and So it's broad daylight. He was taken. It's clear that this is foul play. Um, so she immediately reports him missing, and the police began searching the Viamon property and collecting evidence. Shortly thereafter, another Viamon family member named Michelle receives a call from the Raven. She said that she recognized the low husky voice on the phone. And mind you, this is because they all were receiving calls. And he says... Um, I've killed the boy and thrown him oh. in the Valone River. My revenge is complete. Jesus. So on receiving that tip, the police immediately start searching the river. And around 9 p.m. that night, Gregory Viamon was found floating in the river. So his hands and feet had been bound and his wool cap was still on his head and it had been like pulled over. Oh. So the spot where he was found was about four kilometers, which is just under 2.5 meters from the Viemon home. So I know this is really sad and I really like contemplated not putting the pictures in and so I took the most like far away ones that I could find. But I think it's it's really eerie to kind of see exactly what this looks like. There's like a road right here. And this is like the river. And so the river is on the right side of the top picture. And where these guys are standing is like a cement tube. Mm -hmm. And then over here is kind of like rapids. And so, yeah, and so here is a different angle in the bottom picture where you can see them holding the rope and you can see the rapids kind of behind them. But the right side of the river was more calm. And then the left side over here is where it's like weeds and rocks and Mm -hmm. stuff. So it kind of seems like the killer probably intended on Gregory continuing to just float far away. Mm -hmm. But he got caught in all of this like rocks and stuff. And so he was found actually kind of, like, right in town, which is really fucking sad. So I mean, I guess it's better than not being found at all. Yeah, it's almost, like, granted the entire situation is shitty, but it's kind of lucky that he didn't travel too far because it puts into perspective where the body was likely dumped is actually very Very close close close, to the home. And that kind of, like, leads investigators to believe that this was quick, quick, quick. Like, somebody must have went up there, taken him, and immediately probably tried to dump him, is what they're thinking. So the crazy part is, like, what we know is that this is a young boy. This is France, which is a very populist country. There is an immediate media reaction to this. I mean, a five-year-old boy turning up missing and being found murdered in the river in cold blood, you know. That, like, immediately journalists from all over France and even other countries, the UK, flooded into this small town. And they wanted to question people. They wanted to know. And, like, the public who's reading these news articles, like, there's this there's this feeling that you get when you hear about something like this where people, like, want blood. Like, they yeah. want to know who did it. And they want to know right fucking now. So what ensues after the discovery of the body, is an absolute, and I quote from my notes, an absolute fucking circus of an investigation. (laughs) There were so many factors at play and journalists were so quick to write about the incident, which this is becoming like a common trend in our podcast lately, is when something like this happens in a small town, the um, police and the local government are under tremendous pressure to solve the crime. And a lot of times you're not really
0: equipped to even know how to do it.
1: Yes. And so this is something that like, I'm gonna guess as we continue to do this on Saturdays, this is going to be a really common theme of these small towns having these like horrendous crimes, and not really understanding like even where to start with this. So very quickly, based on what they know about the Raven, they're already starting to think that this is family related. It doesn't sound to me and to the police like this is an outside person it's possible but, but why yeah and it's kind of like murphy's law well no not murphy's law there's another law that's kind of like the simplest answer is probably the right mm-hmm. one and so in this case it's a family dispute in some ways the family is already upset with them it, the person calling in is using family secrets and family you know arguments to stir the pot it, it makes mm-hmm. the most sense that this would probably be a family member so the police begin investigating all 70, 70, 70. members of the Viamon family. And like, I call them the Viamon family, but really there's lots of different last names within this clan because <laughs> they've gotten married and they've had yeah. kids and names have changed. So based on what they know, they believe that whoever was harassing the family is the person responsible for the murder. So um, each family member was subjected to a handwriting test with the left and right hands by the local police. Um, Many people who are interested in true crime might know that tests like polygraphs and handwriting tests, they're not really very accurate Mm -hmm. at all. So um, it's kind of like maybe not really the most important thing that they did this, but they felt like it was important. Um, My dad commented about where this show comes from and it's called who murdered little Gregory and it's on Netflix and it's either a four or six episode Mm -hmm. miniseries all about this murder and it's it's really in depth and it kind of goes into like every single element of the case that we, Mm -hmm. we just won't have time for. So, they subject the entire family to handwriting tests because they're looking to compare the handwritten notes that were sent to the on family. I don't ever get how that like actually proves anything because I can write in like
0: three different handwriting it's, styles. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's what I even so. said. Like my exact note on here is it's far too easy to manipulate your handwriting if you want to. Yeah. Like, there's no way like that's going to prove really anything. And it's kind of like the Jean Benet Ramsey case where. Um, they had a, like, really weirdly long um, ransom note handwritten on the same notepad that was sitting on the counter. So, like, not to change subjects, but who breaks into a home with intentions of kidnapping a girl and writes their ransom note, and they're like, convenient, a notepad. (laughs) I'll use that. Like, you think you would have already written it. But because of that fact, because it was found in the home, they... Um, Subjected the immediate family of John Monet mm-hmm. for the same type of test. And a bunch of experts came forward saying that there's really, this isn't good. This isn't good science. This no. is not an accurate test at all. No. So that's what they do. Granted, this is 1980s. So um, right off the bat, they start investigating every single member of the family. And I can't really go into how they've narrowed it down into this way, but they do. They narrow it down to a man named Bernard LaRoche, and this is Jean-Marie, or Jean-Marie's cousin. So Jean-Marie is Gregory's dad, and then mm-hmm. Bernard LaRoche is his cousin. Oh. And so I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of people, when they're young, they're really close with their cousins. Like, they they see each other at family events and holidays and things like that. And a lot of times, um, because siblings are often close in age, the kids they have are often close in age and sometimes they can all get along really well. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of the case for them. So when they were younger, Bernard and Jean Marie and their brothers, they were all really good friends. Like they did everything together. They were in school at the same time. So they just clicked, but as they got older, this stopped being true. Um, It was kind of like everybody grew up. Um, Bernard got married to Marie Ange, and Jean-Marie got married to Christine, his wife, Um, and they all end up having kids and things along those lines, and so they just kind of drifted. And when Jean-Marie married Christine, Bernard, his cousin, ends up saying on a multitude of occasions that he doesn't like her, that he thinks that she's arrogant, that things like that. And so it just started like the rift kind of started when they all married and kind of grew up. So this is, I think, part of what draws them to this person in particular. Um, And so I'm going to go over the other evidence that led police to Bernard. Um, So we know that the Raven called people outside of the family circle. But what's interesting is they started interviewing those people. And whenever somebody was called, outside of the family so maybe family friends or associates with the family it was a woman calling them not a man not a husky male voice so there was two people exactly so with the rift at least I guess yeah exactly so with the rift between the two small families already kind of being tense um, I think the fact that Bernard LaRoche and Mary Ange being married was like this is possible bernard could be the one calling when it's a male Mm. and Marianne could be the one calling when it's a female and they both had little vendettas out against jean marie and jean marie didn't like them very much either so this is where like yeah it's kind of like where the evidence starts pointing so we know since we've discussed that the handwriting maybe doesn't saying mm-hmm. a lot about who the killer is but a handwriting expert ended up calling the police and saying that bernard laroche is who he believes writ- wrote the letters so this oh. kind of just furthers the police like we have him this is him so it seems to
0: fit pretty well
1: yeah and it's hard because i mean in the 1980s you only have the technology that you have so if some of the only evidence that you have is a handwritten note and somebody says this handwritten note i'm an expert I say it was written by Bernard LaRoche as the police investigating. You're going to have to take his word for that. Yeah. So upon finding these two bits of information out, they bring him in for questioning. um, And when they bring him in, the police officer who who interviews him does the standard. What did you do that day? You know what I mean? Um, So Bernard has a very detailed account for what he did for his entire day. But for some reason, the 30 to 45 minute period that would have transpired during the murder. He can't, can't remember. remember what he did during that period. To be fair, you
0: know, if anyone asked me what I did ever, I would not
1: know. Yeah. What did you do yesterday? I don't know. I feel like that's true probably for most people. And so what I think is interesting is I think it's almost more suspicious to have an answer yeah, that like a question D2. Yeah, like you might have a general, a general like, oh, I went to Costco that day and I had to work, mm-hmm. and, well, I know I had a dentist appointment the next day, but that's about all I can tell you about that week, yeah. you know? So he had a timeline, per se, for his day, which seems... But then
0: left out the, the most important time frame they're looking for.
1: Which sounds like weirdly prepared, in my opinion. So another factor that kind of led them to... Point the finger was that he actually lived in a close proximity. Mm. So in terms of just the plausibility of how quickly this happened, um, he could have gotten there quickly, taken him and disposed of the body and gotten home in 30 to 45 minutes. Oh, wow. Like that's possible. So um, another bit is what we talked about, just the two families being close as teenagers, but no longer being close. Um, and this is going to bring us to the biggest piece of evidence that exists in this entire case. So there's a really detailed explanation for this whole timeline that I'm about to give, and I don't have it because I don't have time (laughs) to discuss it. But basically, the murder probably happened arguably within an hour total. Max. Yeah, that's like maximum, and police are thinking maybe even shorter, 30 to 45 minutes like we discussed. Mm -hmm. So basically, Bernard is faced with um, a tough dilemma where he needs to account for that time. He needs an alibi. Yeah. So he finds his alibi in his sister-in-law. So his wife has a sister who's like... It can be a bit confusing because they're adults, but his sister-in-law is actually really young. She's like a much younger sister. Mm-hmm. And so she's in high school still. So I'm not going to get into the like specifics, but basically the sister-in-law's name is Muriel, and she is Bernard's alibi. She... I don't know the exact details of her first statement but she basically says that she rode the bus home from school and when she got home from school bernard was there Hmm. so that's kind of like the very boiled down version of her story yeah um and so this is what she's holding to and this is bernard's only real alibi i mean it all boils down to if she's telling the truth then he probably couldn't have done it and if she's not it's very plausible that he could have done it. So they start trying to poke holes in this. If they can prove that Muriel is lying, they can at least prove that he's a prime suspect still. If she's not lying and she did see him during the time of the murder, he's pretty much off the table. So they start investigating. She says that she rode the bus home from school, which is an important fact.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So they find the kids who rode the bus that day. And I want to say, I know of at least three, if not five, witnesses that say she did not ride the bus home from school that day. Mm-hmm. So that's hole number one. So, having gained this bit of information, the police are like, this is would you lie tonight. about that. Yeah. So they're like, we're going to bring her in again and we're going to like pump up the gas on this fucking like interrogation. Yeah. And like, it's tough because in today's days, we know that. Mm-hmm interviewing a minor without an adult or a lawyer is a big fat no-no and it's not going to hold up in court because nobody's really there to stand up for a minor this is a young kid still in high school and kids are not fully developed they don't even understand the grand like the repercussions of what they're saying or doing or lying or not lying um, so she was brought in essentially without parents, without a lawyer. Yeah. Nice. Granted, this is
0: 1984,
1: and this is a time when maybe this ship flew and it wasn't really a problem. So she's brought in and the police um question her further. And a very interesting switch happens. Muriel goes into an entirely different story about the events that transpired that day. And what she proceeds to tell police, according to police, is she did not take the bus home from school. She was picked up by Bernard. And there was somebody else in the car. I don't remember who it was. I think it was Jean-Marie's brother, but I don't remember. Mm. Um, And so she gets in the back seat and she says, and I quote, he drove us up to some neighborhood I didn't recognize. There was like construction Mm. work going on. What we know is that A new neighborhood, a new subdivision. House is still being built. She says that Bernard gets out of the car. He pulls off into some side lot. Gets out of the car. Comes back with a kid. Mm -hmm. And That's not funny. But but it's it's just 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 like, how do you not say that? And then now you're saying something that fits weirdly perfectly. Almost too perfectly. Mm -hmm. Then it gets better. She says that he puts the kid in the car. And they drive down to a part of the town she doesn't know where but some part of the town and Bernard gets out with the kid and comes back without the kid and then they drive home so he do it supposedly and so really all this evidence boils down to which one of statement which statement of Muriel's is the correct statement if any so when you watch the documentary if anybody watches it basically the police officer who took her statement that time where she gives this intricate story that mm. conveniently fits perfectly, he says like, as a police officer, I'm calling bullshit on this statement. Not because I don't think it's true, but why did you lie the first time? Like, I'm not sure what's going on here. So he basically sits Muriel down and says, one of three things happened. One, the entire statement that you just gave me is a lie, and if that's the case, we need to rip it up and throw it away go and back pretend and do it again. Mm-hmm. He said second the second thing that could have happened is parts of your story are not true and if that's the case we're going to sit here we're going to reread your statement you're going to cross everything out that's not true and we're going to rewrite it in the truth Mm -hmm. the third thing is that your entire statement is true and if your entire statement is true this is very serious you could put somebody in prison so i need you to reread everything that you just told me that i wrote down and if that's the truth you need to sign it and agree that this is what you're saying is true so he says that she proceeds to read it for some amount of time like 30 minutes or something and she puts the paper down and she signs it hmm. now this is where the entire case gets crazy because it sounds like this is foolproof she said that it happened She's his only alibi. He's already a prime suspect because of the handwriting. She's already a prime suspect, or he's already a prime suspect because of the family feuds and the weird, you know, vendettas against each other and not mm-hmm. liking whatever. He could be jealous about his promotion because Bernard doesn't make a ton of money. York's in the factory. So it it's pointing to him, and she's the key player here. So the thing to know about Muriel, she lives with them. Oh. So... While Bernard and Marianne, her sister, Mm -hmm. know that she was taken to the police station and she was questioned, they don't know what she said. There's no way to know. And the police aren't going to give that information. Right. So this brings us to a really, really great guy called our prosecutor. He is, there's a lot of Jeans in this story, so it's going to get confusing. But the prosecutor, who's in charge of trying whoever's guilty, is Jean-Michel Lambert so he's a relatively young prosecutor and he's got a lot of pressure on him in his defense to find somebody guilty right and we know how that can go when people are under pressure yeah Yeah. so he used this case of a four-year-old boy to increase his media attention and rise his own status as a Mm. prosecutor because in his eyes if he can solve this case then he's a hero gonna get promoted he'll be a judge one day you know so when the police are investigating the journalists will often question the police and the prosecutor to get information because they want to write a story with information they don't have so they'll be like hey do you have any suspects and as a as a morally sound police officer you're supposed to say no i'm not obliged to tell you that yeah, yeah no comment I'll go fuck off. Like, <laughs> this is private. That's what I would use. You know? Yeah. This is not what he does. How good. He makes a public statement naming Muriel. The child. The child who's living with a potential murderer. Cool. Naming her as somebody that just gave a statement like this. She lives with him. Oh, no. Does she die? No, she doesn't die. Okay. We don't really know if that caused anything per se. But what we do know is very very shortly after the prosecutor gives this information to the public she recants her statement good she comes forward publicly on national television and says i made that up that's not true i take it all back the police don't know what they're talking about they coerced that statement out of me Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. yelled at me (laughs) oh yeah baby Mm -hmm. so really like as much of a cliffhanger as this is, that's really for about one and a half to two decades. That's where the case ends. They Solid. They don't. They don't have a murderer. They don't know. Um, so now we'll get into the most fucked up twist of this whole story. If we haven't there's already more. reached that, there's more. So. Like, Let's go into the different characters that we've talked about and discuss what kind of happened after this case because the case doesn't just end, you know. It doesn't ever just end. Um, So the young couple, Jean-Marie and Christine, who lost their son, faced constant harassment in the media um, by journalists, by locals, and at times even from their own family. Obviously, because the police are investigating the family, this is going to cause so much tension. And you got to think, like, we all know, with our own families, if something like this happened, the police investigating into your family is going to be prime time for you to point fingers. Yeah. You might point fingers at people you don't like for no fucking reason. <laughs> you might point fingers for very good reasons, but they might not be true. You could skew the investigation because of vendettas that you have against family members. So Jean-Marie and Christine are basically plopped in the middle of all of this. and And already, like, I would say, like, a relatively normal family in terms of, like, they don't always get along and they don't all like each other. They're now put in the middle of a murder investigation. And basically it just blows up and the family kind of falls apart in a sense. Um, So it's really fucked up that, like, they even start to speak ill of Jean-Marie for doing public interviews. And, I mean, the goal of him doing them is because he wants wants to solve it yeah and then they they start to like put christine under a microscope and they say that she's not grieving the way that she should and that she looks stone-faced in her interviews and like not to draw parallels but jean benet ramsey case was very similar they Mm -hmm. said that patsy didn't look the part that didn't react how you're supposed to react
0: when your kid gets killed
1: yeah like there's a there's a correct way textbook way to deal with a murder of a child like it's just sick so Jean-Marie Villemin which is Gregory's father he does a lot of interviews which we've talked about I feel like makes sense but he gets cornered a lot in these interviews and they will say that they're not recording when they are and you're a person grieving and you think that you're trying to do good and if you think you're not being recorded you may say things that maybe you shouldn't yeah, And he goes as far as to say that if I find the person that murdered my son, I'm going to fucking kill him. Which, like, on I would one say same hand, thing. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. I feel like anybody would say that. Um, the difference here is um, Jean-Marie Villemin, um proceeds to do just that. So on March 25th, 1985, which is about five months after the murder, Jean-Marie drove to La Roche's house and shot him while he was leaving for work. So, Wait,
0: this is like
1: the Bernardo thing? Mm-hmm. Oh. So, I mean, Bernard LaRoche did not survive the attack. He John died.
0: Bernardo. Yeah. Seems
1: Bernard, right? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I hope it's Bernard because I've said that like a hundred times, <laughs> but now I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Um, so, he died, which is really fucking crazy. Like, as if this wasn't crazy enough, the dad of the boy who was killed just killed the prime suspect. And now the prime suspect isn't here to defend himself. So that's good. Can't say I don't. If I don't blame him though. Yeah. So um, after, so basically, Jean Marie is sentenced to prison time for this. But basically, the judge and the city and the people and the government don't want to punish him. Really, they just really don't. Yeah. So, They sentence him to five years in prison, and he's released after two. it's it.
0: I mean, if yeah. you, if he really did David. if it, he did, but it. if he didn't,
1: then oh yeah so um basically lots of time goes by the guy that we even think maybe might have done it is dead he's not here to speak for himself three more people were eventually arrested gregory's great aunt great uncle and an aunt um and they are eventually all released as well because i think they're really only arresting people to try to get them to talk more because mm-hmm. that's like a were they thing. like arresting them like they're arresting them on charges of murder and then they bring them in forcefully to be interrogated and they end up being let go. So in 2017, Muriel, Bernard's alibi, is arrested on charges of murder Mm -hmm. and is held for 36 days and then she's let go as well. So Muriel ends up going to write a book about her involvement and saying that she was coerced and that this is all bullshit and she's innocent. Um, To this day, the case has not been solved. No one's been formally prosecuted with the murder of Gregory. Locals believe that nobody may ever be charged. Jean-Marie and Christine go on to have three more children after Gregory's death, and they now live in a suburb near Paris. Um, I found an interesting post on Reddit. Um, It says, I'm a young French, and all I've ever heard, read, or seen about this case makes me believe that the cousin, Bernard LaRoche, and the brother, Michael Villeman, did it. I think Bernard is most likely to have killed Gregory and Michael was the Raven. I also believe Mm -hmm. what Muriel said during her first detention was the truth. She should have never been released and taken back to her family, but this case is a peep show of judicial errors. The grandparents knew as well, but they decided to protect their son over their other son. However, if you ask my father who was grew up in that time, they all believe that the mother did it. Oh, um it says we both think that the truth would have been uncovered if it weren't for the useless and incompetent judge lambert and the media frenzy that ensued so i just thought that that's an interesting perspective of somebody who um, is from france and christine goes on to write a book the mother Mm -hmm. about her innocence and her experience throughout all of this and a judge declares that she has to give all the proceeds of the book to laroche's children because her husband murdered their dad Oh, and in 2017, the whole thing is sad. In, it's twisty and gross. Well, what's even more fucked up why I keep saying this is so dark, other than all the dark shit that we've talked about, the prosecutor, Lambert, ends up killing himself in oh. 2017, saying that basically it's like all too much pressure and he can't keep going on. So Jesus Christ. it's now 2020. We have no real updates. This case is what? 20, 30, almost 35, 36 years old, and we just are never really gonna know what happened, maybe ever. And so my biggest recommendation is for everybody, if you think that this case is really interesting, if you wanna know all the shit that I probably said wrong, including (laughs) every single person's name in this entire case, and if you wanna know more about Muriel, and all of the police errors, and the handwriting, and all the other suspects, because we only had time to talk about Bernard, and there are a lot of other family members that are suspected, which is, like, shown by this part that says, like, three other family members are up arrested. Mm-hmm. So it's clear that police are, like, pointing fingers in more than one place. I highly recommend watching the Netflix series, and it's called Who Killed Little Gregory?, like I said, it kinda looks like it'll be French, but it's completely voiced over in English. So huh. I think I've seen that
0: on Netflix and done the exact thing that you're talking
1: about, going, uh-huh. mm, yeah, I'm not gonna watch that. Yeah, because it seems like you're gonna have to read subtitles, yeah. which I'm okay with subtitles, but it's like I only do it for really, 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 really long. Like I know. really gotta watch it. And I don't I didn't wanna be distracted, so I finally like gave it a chance. And I watched this actually last year. And I was sitting there thinking about what I was going to do for this podcast. And I was like, wait, because I've been on like a like a European mm-hmm. kick lately. And I've been looking up a lot of Australian murders. And I was like, I'm sorry. I already know of one that is fucking wild. I think that I, I think Roche like, did it. I think so, too. It's just so shitty when you have cases like that with no physical evidence, and it's like all you have is this bullshit like a written no and a voice on a phone. And somebody
0: saying he probably did
1: it, but just kidding, never mind. Yeah. Maybe he didn't. Exactly. And so we're sitting here on the sidelines, and we're like, it's so fucking clear he did it, when really there's
0: actually nothing. And there's so many times where the clear answer actually is very off from what
1: actually happened and what's really crazy this would be fucking wild and i think that it's so unlikely but what if like the raven is just completely unrelated to the murder yeah i mean he was a four-year-old boy playing outside alone we know in 2020 that's not the consequences safe. yeah what crazy shit can happen so i mean it's unlikely that this was just some fucking random thing on
0: well, the people that are saying that it was the mom If you think about it um with all the calls and stuff going on yeah that would be a very easy way to point the blame away from you yeah like if you did just want to get rid of your kid you know people have been harassing me for years probably them yeah don't not me why would i do that
1: well and like to play devil's advocate to the whole case i really I really don't think that Christine, the mom, had anything to do I with me it. I mean either, but
0: you can see.
1: You could say because you gotta think. It's kinda like Bernard, where the only person that we have to believe is Bernard and Muriel. Christine was the only one there. Hmm. She was the only one there. And she said he went outside and then he was gone and I couldn't find him. But we don't know that at all actually happened just yeah. Like who's to say she's she's only she's the only person in that scenario that we can believe so you either believe her or you don't and so i think it's really easy for the public to like hear this and Take they decide and stick to it yeah it's they good could good. hear her say that and be like how the fuck do we believe you yeah why would we believe the other family why would we believe you there's no evidence here to support either yeah isn't that it's wild crazy i'm sad it's, it's like, real sad Big sad. And he's so cute. Like, he's a cute kid. Where is it? Like, he's so cute. Oh, that smile is so big. And this is obviously, like, the picture of Jean-Marie and Christine, which is the second photo on the document. This is after the murder, so they obviously look very sullen, but they she's actually a really pretty... She's a really beautiful mm. lady, and he's a good-looking young man. And so it's really crazy how fast the media picks this up because you have an adorable kid, you have a semi-wealthy family it's, just, it's like, just not supposed to happen but no. it did yeah and people are like they want blood on that case like they do to this day like fair though i mean yeah.
0: not that it hasn't already happened but we don't know true damn whack
1: whack is so. <laughs> up. okay so whack. next case is jenna's um will you pull it up on your i guess. oh yeah is it in our our folder mm-hmm.
0: Hell yeah so just a warning for everyone I don't prepare the way that Celia prepares. She writes novels and I write scrambled notes well, and just go off of
1: Hear me out. my favorite parts. I <laughs> had to write, well, with the cases I've been doing lately, they're like, I feel really stressy when I do like really popular cases. Yeah, because you can't cause, like miss. Yeah, because I'm like, I've got to make sure that I know like what that important shit is because what if I forgot about Muriel? Like, what if I just, yeah. like, skimmed right over that and was like, they were pretty sure Bernard did it. Just because? Because I think I read something that said they did. <laughs> Ariana said, we expected that, Jenna.
0: No, good. I, I mean, love that. I'm glad that you didn't come expecting any more than we're going to get. <laughs> we need
1: <laughs> extremely low expectations from this podcast. People That's, keep asking me, is your podcast good? And no, I go, absolutely no, not. It is, no. We're drinking throughout most of it so yeah so <laughs> it's good it's so good okay jenna tell us the name of your murder okay it's the hi-fi murders she- and
0: i have heard about this quite a bit because it's very 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 local to me it's um in the same town i was born and living in so it's so question before we can start because
1: okay, i'm annoying yeah same do like most people that live in Utah? Well, maybe not all of Utah, but in Salt Lake area, would most people kind of know vaguely this happened?
0: Um, let's ask the people listening because I have heard of it, but I'd never really like looked
1: into the details.
0: But hi-fi you people,
1: murders, hi-fi murders, Ogden, Utah. We've got some Ogden viewers. Have not heard one. Not one you. have not heard. Paige, we know you're here. Have you heard of the hi-fi murders? Paige says vaguely. vaguely. That's what I'm hoping, you know, like at least somebody's yeah. vaguely. I wonder if Colton has heard. Well, he's probably heard me talk about it because oh, I, I I just
0: ramble. Because we're
1: annoying. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But um ooh. it does that. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'll just break your things. Please so don't. um to give some sort of perspective to people who kinda know what it is, to know where it's at. It's on twenty three twenty three Washington Boulevard in Ogden which is now a Hilton hotel that I would is that not by the watch. Egyptian theater. it's by the Sonora Grill okay yeah, like so like in between the temple
1: or past the temple
0: so the temples on like 22nd and then this would be on 23rd which is um a bit south like yeah. one street south okay, yeah. okay 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 so it's right there so it's like right
1: up in Ogden and Ogden for anybody who doesn't know Um, Ogden is, um, it's a small town in terms of, like, it's not, like, crazy, like, (laughs) but Utah only has a couple of cities that really have any nightlife at all, and really any downtown area, and that's Salt Lake City and Ogden. Like, you don't, I don't know of any other bars in any other city. No. It's Ogden or it's Salt Lake, and so, like, 23rd Street is very close to the very popular 25th street and 25th street historic (laughs) 25th street and historic 25th street has all the bars and a bunch of restaurants so like 23rd is like super close it's all to like the main area Mm -hmm. of ogden it's all in that area
0: so what went down this was in 1974 Mm -hmm. in april and um there is this little hi-fi audio shop where they got like electronics and you name it, you know.
1: So it's kind of like a like a radio. It's like of? a radio. Yeah. Okay. So it's
0: like throwing it back to the early yeah. yeah, 2000s. <laughs> but this one's the 70s. Okay.
1: And there
0: is two employees working here this night. And let's we'll see. Um, it would. It would. <laughs> it would. It, would. <laughs> it was <laughs> Sherry Michelle Ansley and she was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And she, working there? Yeah. Okay. And
1: she has worked there for one week. This was oh. her first week of working there. No. And, and then, the fact that we're talking about this period means that that's not good. Yeah. Not a good week. No.
0: Not <gasps> good at all. I don't like um, it. And then there was another guy, and he, he was 16, and his name was Byron Courtney N- Nesbitt. Nesbitt? But he would go by Courtney, because I guess his dad's name was Byron, so he's always okay. referred to as Courtney. Okay. Um, so those two, they were working at this hi-fi shop, and um, they're really close to closing time right now and these two vans pull up and i believe it was three men that came into the shop and they came in with guns and they immediately have and so the way that this is set up is this has like the upstairs area where there's all the stuff being sold and then there's a basement which i could be so wrong but i think it's just for like employees or something i don't really know what i'm talking about but they have a basement that sounds like Is weird
1: yeah, I feel like businesses, I don't really know many that have basements, but I guess maybe you wouldn't know, because it, maybe it's down in the back. Where, like, maybe it's, like, storage? Yeah, I don't know. But they take them down there, and they hold
0: them up. Um, so, they're going there. They're they're not happy to, like, be, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. <Sorry. laughs> so,
1: I would not no. be stoked
0: about this. And so, I also have to mention, so, there was six people total that came to rob this place, which is, like, that's a pretty big robbery. I can't... I, I think, think like, of convincing me and five other friends to, like,
1: like rob something yeah. together. Paige, Colin, Ariana, we're going. We're going to fucking hold up a Radio Shack. And we're all going to be in on it. That's
0: insane. So, about... They think six, but they don't really know. Yeah. So, they think three stayed in the car, three went in. Okay. Um So, they're in there, and... By this time, I think they've been in there for like two hours or so. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. Which is, yeah, it's a while. I feel
1: like normally you do that shit quick because you're well, like. Well,
0: they're the trying cops. to they're trying to get everything into the vans. Oh my god! Like they, like they're the whole... they're robbing the whole store, and so I feel they're...
1: like that's really fucking extra. And, okay,
0: so because they are like taking things and taking them out the door, they've left the door unlocked because you gotta am saying? Like lock, yeah, lock it. Lock and that's like very. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much. much. That's really <laughs> inconveniencing during a robbery. Yeah, is probably who wants to do that. i like, do they have keys? Probably not. Yeah. So they don't lock the door. So at some point, two more people come by, and it would be. um I skip someone. So let this, this up. <laughs> see, this is um, dad. See, oh, they says deal. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, we've got oh, two contenders in our robbery. Cool. So. Another team stops by because I guess it was like a customer. So he was friends with, um, with a guy that was working there, the teenager that was working there. Mm, okay. And he stops by to like say thank you. Cause I guess he was running errands in the town. Hmm. And he was letting him park his car in the parking lot. Um, and so he was just be like a really nice guy. And like he didn't even have to come by and like say anything.
1: Like, but he wanted and he's to like, that. hey
0: thanks, like thanks for that. But then instead he couldn't find anyone there. And then somebody came up to him with a gun and put him in the basement too. Oh so that sucks. That's like, like, the most dang lucky it. Like, dang it. That's a bad fucking day. Yeah. Um so, I'm just going to, okay, I'm selling this in the worst order. I'm it's just going to okay. tell
1: you the victims first. Okay. So, the well, first victims. Well, so, hey. it, it ask, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've got <laughs> so many questions. Okay, ask, a, your question, ask your so questions. It's so local, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, ask your questions. So, we know that there's victims because it's called the Hi-Fi murders. Right. So, how did it, do we know how it escalated?
0: Yes. Like, okay. So, I'm going to. Kind of just tell vaguely what had happened. Yeah. And then we'll go into the detail of the people and the okay. um, torture that I like happened. That. Oh, so I don't like that. there was the two kids working. The one other kid stopped by mm-hmm. to say thank you. At this point, all three of them are held hostage. And then there's two more people that stopped by. And they are parents of, the, of two of the people that were there. Because oh they were like, my kids aren't home from work. Like, I'm going to go check on them. And so since the door's unlocked, they're just, like, walking in yeah and then they get taken to the basement with their kids with their kids already like bound up and like Oh yeah my God. so they're in there and these are the these are the five victims um there's the Sherry Michelle Ainsley she's 18 the one that has only worked there for a whole week
1: mm-hmm.
0: one whole week um, and then there's the Courtney Nisbet who mm-hmm. is 16 and he was working there then there is Carol mm-hmm. which is his mom Okay. So she comes in to check on him. She, she's 52. Nonsense. Now, at this point, they're, like, all downstairs. Mm-hmm. Then Oren Walker comes in, and that would be um, Stanley Walker. So Stanley is an employee, mm-hmm. and then Byron's the kid that comes by to say thank you. Mm-hmm. So they're all there. They're all locked in this basement, and the guys with the guns start telling them that They need to, like, let them just, like, take all the stuff, and they're going to be in and out, whatever. And then they go out to their car, and they come back with a bag, a paper bag, Mm -hmm. and they pour this liquid out of the bag. Like, there's a bottle in there. Yeah. And they start pouring out this blue liquid. And he tells Oren to give it to everyone, make sure that they all drink it. And he tells them that it is like a mixture of vodka and these German like sleeping pills. So he says, you guys are all going to drink this. You're going to go to sleep. And then when you wake up, we'll We'll be be gone gone. and you can go home. And the end, like if I was to be, in a hostage situation like that, yeah, I don't think sleeping through it would be the worst thing. Yeah, I feel like so I feel like sleep, okay, give it to me. I'm more like, Well, I mean, I would not say that, but I'm just saying, <laughs> give it to me,
1: please, give it to me. <laughs> Ooh, that's what I wanted. No. <laughs> Anyways, yeah.
0: um, so he tells him to make everyone drink it. He's like, um, no, I'm not gonna do that. And so they start pouring it into Damn everyone's mouth. Mm-hmm. and all the people they start screaming. Oh. You need to make sure after a hard day work, same. I I really relate to that. <laughs> same. Um, so they start pouring it in, and it's, like, they start screaming. Oh, my god! Like, it's burning. And it's, like, they're filling up their mouth so that it's, like, overflowing. Uh-huh. And it's, um like, burning their skin oh, and causing okay. blisters and, like, just, like, awful. And they're, like, choking on it. They're screaming. They're gagging. And they're, like, coughing it all back up. And somehow, and it's been like told so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So there's no like real like account for what had happened. But they say that since like the Orin guy, he he was the last one to take it because he was the one they they were like mad at him for not giving it to everyone. But he like figures obviously it's not vodka. Huh, <laughs> no fucking way. Because that doesn't really happen when you drink vodka. Yeah. Like it's like gross, but you're not like blistering. You're not burning. Yeah. So.
1: Maybe tequila, but definitely yeah, not real, vodka.
0: But no. Vodka and sleeping pills would be
1: fine. You would be snoozing. I think it would be kind of smooth. Maybe I could like okay, be. That was, okay. No. Anyways.
0: So, <laughs> it starts, like, so he decides to, like, act like that's happening, but fake it when oh. he drinks it. So, he doesn't, like, actually drink it, but he, so he, like, he, like spits it. it. I don't know. No, some people say he spit it out. Some people say he, like, fake to drink it, but he, like made all the sounds and the dramatics uh-huh. of it as if so maybe it was he, also So maybe he, like,
1: held it in his mouth and then started, like, hacking it up, like, he yeah. swallowed it, but really he put it in his mouth and just spit it everywhere. You yeah, know maybe, what I mean? I don't know. It's, like, there's no clear, like... Nobody said, like, this is what happened. Yes.
0: Yeah. And this is very off-topic. <laughs> this is very off-topic, but I just thought this was a really, like, interesting kind of note mm-hmm. to, like, show, like, how local this is to, like... Us. Us. yeah. yeah. So, um, Courtney was, like, he was a 16-year-old, yeah. and he was supposed to be a um, student over at Ogden High.
1: Oh, my God. That's literally so close to me.
0: And I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, my God. My grandpa taught at Ogden High. During that time? During that time. So, he, my grandpa was a teacher at that school. Where he was supposed to be going. When that kid was held hostage. Into, oh,
1: my yeah.
0: God. So like it's like wild like and I, I wish that I could like ask him and stuff but like yeah yeah it's wild I just thought it was very that's interesting. That's insane. So, let me see. So, they're doing all the. They end up finding out later that the liquid was Drano. Oh. Drano, yeah. That's not good. Gnarly. That's meant to like clear your
1: pipes. Well, I've read. <laughs> And I'm literally like I'm completely making this up, but I've read a lot of shit just from like true crime and like people using antifreeze and Drano. Like I read this story. Oh my god! It was that. It was that other Netflix documentary, the one that you couldn't watch about Gabriel Fernandez. Oh yeah. It was while It was either that story or a really similar case. Something that I read recently about, like either his case or a child abuse case in general, mm-hmm. where the mom would make the son drink Drano and so she basically the mother would like I don't know how to explain it basically like the um, police came out and said like if he had drank Drano this is what would happen and like he went through all the symptoms and it was Mm. like fucking atrocious yeah it was like something you should dissolves your stomach lining it would make you unable to eat for days it was so awful
0: yeah, not something I would recommend. Um, so, basically, they started getting really mad because this was they thought probably that this was going to, like, make them pass out or something from drinking Drino. And, and it was taking too long. And they were getting really angry because, like, obviously they can't even keep it down. They keep coughing it and, like, hacking it back up. So their plan is so, going south. Yeah, so they start filling their mouths and then covering their mouths with duct tape. In order to like keep it in and keep the screams in because they're so loud. But that's
1: so fucking crazy because what I was listening to about that is like it doesn't kill you. It's yeah. not gonna work. It doesn't matter if you drank the whole bottle. It's, it's just not gonna happen immediately. Mm-hmm. Your body has to digest it. Yeah. Which it can barely do.
0: Yeah. Like, and oh so goodness. it's not going well. Um so he's they start getting mad and the guy ends up shooting um Courtney in the back of the head. Oh my god. Um and then he also shot Stanley, killed him. And then um this is like the nasty part I don't like talking about because it's just really yucky. Yeah. So at this point like there's they think there's three guys in there but they've only ever like said of two who were for sure in there. Yeah. So they there was the one who was doing most of the like hard yeah, like shooting and stuff oh, like he was okay. doing like the the hard work and the other guy was just kind of like they're helping I guess yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. um so he tells the like accomplice kind of guy like give me 30 minutes and he takes the 18 year old and the girl and makes her dress down and like brutally rapes her Ugh. in the other room and then and she was only 18 and she was like engaged she was like gonna get married and she's like this cute little girl and he like brutally rapes her and then when he's done he lets her go to the bathroom but he has to watch and then he takes her back and throws her into the other room with the rest of the people like naked still and then i believe he shot her
1: oh my and God. her
0: last words you can't tell me this isn't so sad her last words were i am too young to die <gasps> oh yeah my heart yeah Um, so it doesn't get much prettier from there. (laughs) Um, so then they take Oren, who's the older, he's Stanley's dad. Mm -hmm. So he's, like, a full adult. Um, he is, they're, like, really not happy with him. Because he's, like, kind of being, like, the one to, like, fight at the most, I guess. Yeah. And they were getting really annoyed that he, like, just, like, was not dying from the draino, and so he took a ballpoint pen, put it in his ear, and then stomped on it. (gasps) And then the pen proceeded to obviously break his eardrum yeah and go out of his throat
1: oh my yeah.
0: god just brutal just Ugh. stomping it in
1: this is so fuck.
0: yeah um so that's-, that's pretty much like the end of the torture
1: yeah um yeah so ariana said i heard about this and i think about that pen thing all the time. Yeah, it's traumatizing. No. I think about it I'm like, what? Like, like, I'm good. Okay, not to like okay, I'm not trying to like make light of the situation, but no, I no. didn't know that like your the body angle. like could like you could put something in your ear hard enough that it would come out your throat. Like Yeah, I must have been a heavy I feel flip. like you have bones. <laughs> 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 you, 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 do have bones you definitely but... have bones, but I felt like they would be in the way. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um Yeah, not good. So
1: and then what happens when they get, like,
0: found, I guess? So now at
1: this point, like, three people are definitely dead. So, yeah. Three have been shot. The 18-year-old, oh, Courtney, so and... Courtney, actually, oh, sh- he was shot in the back of the head. But he's he, he's
0: alive. Dude, he's still alive. I'm sorry. Yeah, so he's alive and Oren's still alive. The one that got the pen through his
1: oh face.
0: Um, Carol, shot in the back of the head. That's um, Courtney's mom. Mm-hmm. Dead. Um... Sherry, Michelle, whatever, Ainsley, she was almost raped and then shot, and then Stanley was just shot to so just be shot, and it was pretty simple. Oh, he didn't, man. he had to have the drain at first, but then he was just shot. Like he didn't have to endure most of the of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Obviously, though, like uh, Courtney's not really able to go get help. Yeah. When he's been shot in the head. Yeah. So he's like dying down there. Mm-hmm. Um. Obviously, Warren is not in the best shape either. Yeah. But there's different accounts of how he they were found yeah some people say that he climbed up the stairs and out Mm -hmm. and someone saw him in the parking lot and called for help some say that well actually all say that his wife and their other kid came by to see like where they were because it took so long. yeah but some people say that they called the cops after finding them Mm -hmm. so it's really not sure who called the cops but for sure um his wife and then the other kid came to like check on the dad and the brother yeah and obviously did not find them in a good condition Mm -hmm. um the brother's dead and the dad's got a pen sticking out of his throat yeah um yeah so So my dad
1: yeah my dad made the comment yes yes, yes. i read that the criminals were in the air force absolutely they were
0: so um so what ends up happening is um so they get an anonymous tip from an airman from hill air force base which is like, right here.
1: Yeah, it's probably 20 miles, not even. Yeah,
0: like Layton, so it's yeah. not that far. Um, And he said that William Andrews, which is another man in the Air Force, told him, and I quote, One of these days, I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anybody gets in the way, I'm going to kill them. Okay. <laughs> so that doesn't they leave were a lot like, of hmm, I, I think it was probably that guy. That's pretty they Those are pretty smart investigators. Yeah. Yeah. It took a <laughs> lot of work for them. <laughs> um, so they go there and then while they're like getting this tip and like in the middle of all of this. Yeah. There are these two teens and they're dumpster diving by the um, by the Air Force oh. base and um, by the Air Force <laughs> by the base. <laughs> the whole Air Force. <laughs> and um, they end up finding some of the victim's personal belongings oh, and recognizing the them from their IDs on the pictures. Yeah, because right. it's probably
1: the, all over the news, right? Oh,
0: absolutely. This oh is like God. a brutal murder. Yeah. Um, and so they end up coming, and that's another hint towards mm-hmm. Air Force. And then upon searching all of this, they end up finding a one-year signed lease for a um, storage unit. Mm-hmm. Which they then go to and I'm find sorry. filled with all of the electronics stolen from the shop.
1: Oh my god, what a bunch of fucking idiots. Yeah,
0: like, mm-hmm. stupid.
1: Yeah. So,
0: here are the people who have been, like, actually, like, charged with anything from this. Yeah. So, they believe there were six, um, but they don't have enough evidence to get more than just the three. Yeah. Um. So, the main guy that was... Mostly talked about mm-hmm. that would be Dale Selby Pierre, mm-hmm. and he is the one that did all the shooting. Mm-hmm. So he's the only person that, like shot anyone. Yeah, and he also I found this out when I was researching this. This is wild. Yeah, he is. Uh, so he's a helicopter mechanic at the Air Force Base, uh-huh. and he was also currently like I think he was let out on parole or something, but he was a prime suspect for another murder for Edward jefferson's murder and he was a air force sergeant oh my so gosh. he was a prime suspect for that killing a sergeant and then he ended up being linked back to these what brutal, a, brutal murders what a fucking and idiot. he's the one that did the, the raping as of well. Course.
1: that's fucking awful. so that guy please tell me terrible. he's rotting in prison oh no he's dead he got um
0: he received three death sentences one for each. oh shit because it's military and yeah. that's different he was probably tried military right i'm not sure oh but he God. definitely was killed by lethal injection good yeah um, they were in like the utah state prison and they were like known as like the people that everyone hated in prison good so like he was not, not having really, a good time no he was not having a good time um the next person would be kind of like the the helper um the one that was also in the basement and, like, helping yeah. oh, with the Yeah, so Pierre, he was only 21, and he's now killed four people. What the and fuck? And brutally, brutally ruined two other people's. Which
1: I'm sorry, but, like, for this Pierre guy, this can't be an isolated incident. No. Which we know he's already under investigation, but if you're going to just take a woman and fucking rape her, like, he's, oh. I want to know, where are his girlfriends, where are his high school Friends. He's not a pleasant guy. I'm sure it didn't start... Yeah. It didn't
0: start with the murder of a sergeant and then didn't, like... Yeah. Just escalate from murdering your sergeant, too. And I feel like you don't just commit murder. I feel like there's steps along the way. Absolutely. That's disgusting. So, the second guy would be William Andrews. He was only 19. Oh,
1: So, my it's like, God. these were, like,
0: kids doing dumb, dumb, dumb shit.
1: Like, fucking insane. Yeah. Like, I can't even think of... Like, comprehend where your that. mental, like, where the thought process was. Like, it clearly didn't exist.
0: Um, so he didn't actually directly kill anybody. He did force Drano, which I feel like is pretty good attempt at murder. Yeah, I'm pretty if sure. If you don't even, you, you know.
1: They thought whether they were fucking idiots, which they are. But they thought it was going to kill them, yeah. and it didn't. But he didn't directly
0: them. shoot anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he still also got three death sentences. Good. Um, but surprisingly enough his is actually like really like controversial some people really don't believe that he should have been killed
1: i'm sorry like executed in this exact scenario like if you consider the fact that there's three that were in the vehicle that maybe weren't even named i feel like if so that third kid was he physically present so the third one would be keith leon roberts Uh uh-huh he
0: was also 19 Uh he was like the getaway driver and he was told that like murder was not going to be involved in this and it was just going to be a robbery But he
1: didn't fucking come forward
0: i don't know i don't think so um so he was convicted with two counts of aggravated robbery and spent 13 years in prison so he
1: didn't get a death sentence
0: no the only two were um pierre and andrews
1: so, when you say that one of them was controversial, was that Andrews? That was Andrews,
0: because he didn't directly kill anyone. Okay, I'm
1: fucking sorry. Yeah, no, like, yes, he fucking did. First of all, like, like, the thing we talked about with the Drano, and second of all, if you witnessed somebody murdering people, and you also know for a fact that he raped somebody and, and you helped stood an there and watched, and arguably held people down and put tape over them, and fuck that guy. But like, you, Yeah, but people literally, like, are, like not
0: everyone agrees that he should have been killed and yeah. i'm sorry but i do i think that that's
1: well deserved it's just so tough like i'm in one of my college classes right now is like moral philosophy and reasoning and i've been doing one of my papers on like capital punishment and it's just so hard because it's so controversial but to me like even so pierre is like obvious he yeah he been was given. like the If you're for the death sentence, that's exactly what it's for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) for somebody like that. And in terms of, like, the other guy, William Andrews, like, I'm sorry, but the whole purpose of capital punishment is to make sure that the general prison population and the rest of society are safe from you. Yeah. And if you're willing to shove Drano down somebody's throat after for- And assist in
0: murders. Yeah. And
1: I'm making this up, but, like, even if it was 30 minutes, which we know it wasn't, but if for 30 minutes you're watching people choke and hack and you're mm-hmm. continuing to shove it down their throat, you're not safe. You are not supposed to be around other people. Mm-hmm. Like, not in prison. If that's how you acted in normal, real life. Yeah. Like, ugh. So my dad asked in our comments, is there a documentary on this case? So while I we were talking, know. yeah, I, I googled it and I can't really find anything. It's not that crazy- it looks like there's, like, another podcast, potentially. Mm. It's called um, Case Equate. Acquaint. Acquaint? Is that how you say that? Acquaint? I think so. Um, where they do an episode on the Ogden Hi-Fi Shop murders. There's another podcast that looks like they maybe do it as well. And then there's just the general news sources that talk about the Ogden Hi-Fi murders. But I don't mm. see a documentary. So
0: Yeah, it's so today... Um, I don't know if Roberts is dead or if he's still alive. I know he spent 13 years in prison and is, and then was released. I don't know if he's still alive. Oh um, What's his name? Keith Leon Roberts. But for sure, Pierre and Andrews are dead. Um, and now at this point, all of the victims have passed. Oh. Um, so the three obviously died there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oren he ended up Orin walker he i think lived for a while um he obviously had some pts problems yeah i'm sure um I, but i think he ended up dying of like natural causes when he was older mm-hmm. um and then courtney nesbitt he he's the one who got shot he the got shot way. in the back of the head but he lived he ended up having some severe problems as one does after being shot in the head.
1: Like, Um, just kind of, like, maybe, like, physical therapy and stuff. He had really bad
0: amnesia and couldn't even testify because he just didn't recall. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it was just really gnarly, and it kind of affected him very negatively for the rest of his life, where he just wasn't able to, like, do all the things he could do. So he did not regain, like, normal. No. So he ended up, like, having a hard time keeping jobs, I think, and just kind of having to go on assistance, and then just, I don't know
1: if he... Yeah. Where he went from there. Where
0: from there, but I I believe he has passed away since.
1: So I found an article which is from Desert News, which is um, dated August 21st, 1989, Mm -hmm. which means that this was put on the internet even though it was probably like a physical article. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously it's not very relevant in terms of today, but it says Ogden hi fi killer P.L. Dale Selby died for his crimes in August 1987. His accomplice, William Andrews... Oh, I read that wrong. I knew that. I and mean, I was like, wow, no way! I just told you that. <laughs> okay, that. go on. William Andrews may die, may yet die for his role in the robbery, which he we did. know he did. Mm-hmm. And then it says... And this was, like, prosecuted in, like, Farmington. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, right just right there. Which is weird, because it's Weber County. But, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. So it says, but the man prosecutors contend was the mastermind behind the April 22nd robbery turn killing spree will not die. Keith Leon yeah. Roberts, the third man charged, was paroled from Utah State Prison on May 12, 1987, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Like, and I feel like with these podcasts, we're probably unless we were to do like a like a separate podcast dedicated, like each episode mm-hmm. is like about a murder like Mm -hmm. not each episode but the entire show being a murder yeah and we go into multiple episodes then we could get really into like the evidence and And the the trial and the the prosecution but when we're doing it in this format like we're never gonna (coughs) be able to put all the info into one episode no but it's gonna miss stuff every time but it's just so interesting to like realize that like these are like that sounds so stupid, but it's, like, these <laughs> are, like, real people. This is yeah, real absolutely. shit. Like,
0: it didn't... Like, because a lot of times you, like, listen, like, oh, like, that poor kid, Uh It you know? somewhere. Yeah, but then, like, this one, when I was researching I'm like, bro, my, my grandpa was probably his English teacher. Could have been. Like, he was teaching at
1: that time, mm-hmm. at that
0: school. He was probably his English teacher, or just or a teacher at would his school. have
1: been. You know? Like... It's just insane that, like, this people like people who aren't interested in true crime a lot of times they like are skeptical as to why somebody would want to like like even sometimes i feel like my boyfriend jason like is like how can you just listen to that
0: yeah i literally had this talk with my stepmom rose the other day and it's just so
1: crazy not about it she doesn't like it want to know i want to know what happened in terms of like the evidence and stuff i think that's really interesting but i really like i cannot comprehend why people do stuff like this like mm-hmm. what could have went so tremendously wrong in your life for you to feel like this was acceptable behavior like right that this was normal and this was the answer like you've got these kids they're in they're literally kids by yeah. all intensive purposes in the air force which for m- most people that are in the air force it's like a pretty good life. It's yeah. maybe not perfect. There's downsides to it. But there's pros, is, for sure. Yeah, like, it's fairly stable, mm-hmm. if anything, and so it's like, why would you feel driven to do this? Like, what made you kill a sergeant, and then And how do you convince go, other people yeah, to do it with you? Five
0: other people to go murder. that like he literally said, I'm going to go rob that hi-fi shop, and if anybody gets in my way, I'm gonna kill him." I don't, Like, wh- why are you thinking this way?
1: It's just insanity. Like, I feel
0: like like, not saying I would, but if I were to, like, commit a robbery, I would be like, okay, when's nobody going to be there? Because I don't want to get caught. Not nah, I'm just going to go and just kill anyone in my path. And I feel like. If it, the goal was really this stuff. Why wouldn't you, you know? go to
1: a bank? Right. Like, if you finally have six people. Yeah, yeah Ariana right. posted he wanted them to get in his way. That's literally, like, a murderer. I mean, yeah. we already know he probably murdered the sergeant, but that's somebody that, had he not been caught, would have been a serial killer. Yeah, absolutely. Like. It's just insane, and it's kind of crazy. The more we go into these stories about people that have committed a murder and have been caught, what if they hadn't been caught? Yeah, I feel like we've got a lot of cases where these people would have been serial killers in the making. It just would have progressed over rest.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that one like just because I've always like heard oh like the high five murders like the murder's not been yeah but, like I've never really like looked into it and I'm like Jesus Christ, this man was psycho. Yeah. Like,
1: Ooh. and even the fucking people in the car
0: like to not like, you know. had to
1: hear fucking gunshots i'm sorry yeah because
0: at one point i don't think i mentioned it earlier um they were like firing like even warning shots like let like, know, like, them know like hey like the, like 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 control
1: you yeah. guys because they
0: weren't doing what they wanted them to do and they didn't want to drink the like train firing up, so up they were like the firing area. into the walls and stuff To scare them. So it's like, you can't, like, not know. And then it's like, all of a sudden, your robbery turns into, like, a however many hour event. You're just going to be okay with, like, your friends doing all that stuff. And not realizing that a line has been crossed. Not that, like, robbery was okay. But if you signed up for robbery and it, it like, exceeded that. I guess maybe
1: there's, like, a fear element. Like, I don't know. There's, everybody would probably say there's different levels of, like, criminal behavior. Like, Mm -hmm. There are people who are into drugs who break into people's garages to steal bikes for drug money. That's on a completely different level than somebody committing murder for right fun. Yeah. But, like... Because they can. I feel like what gets me about some of these cases, like, the case that I talked about today with Gregory, that, to me, there is a psychological element to it when you consider, like, the phone calls and the repeated mm-hmm. harassment, but... Outside of the crime of just being fucking disgusting and annoying. Mm -hmm. Like, the real crime was, like, committed and done with. And I feel like with a case like the High Five murders, there's, like, such a psychological element that it's, like, like, did the perfect, like, the main guy, did Pierre, or even that article says it might have been Keith. Mm -hmm. Are they, like, getting off on the fact that they have power? Like, is this a power struggle? Because
0: it's, like, what? What else would cause you? He could have easily locked him up in the basement, taken like whatever he needed, and then done with. Yeah, like oh my god. But it it was something that they wanted to do,
1: like as gross as it is. Like it's kind of like it reminds (coughs) me. I kept wanting to say it so much, but I felt like I was interrupting (laughs) so much because that's what I do. But like it reminds me so much of the Yogurt Shop murders. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's in a similar time, because I think that I might be making that up. Maybe that was in the nineties. It was in the nineties. But either way, it's, like, just such a sick fucking thing. Like, if these yogurt shop murders in Austin, if they had just been trying to rob the place, they, they could have, have just, just fucking robbed, robbed, robbed it. Place. Yeah. But instead, they tortured these girls psychologically, they probably molested one of them, and then they lit them on fire. And it's, like, for fucking what? Right. I mean, so. It's just icky. Like, the
0: fact that people are out there and they're, like, right- Around us, like they're they're there, and I don't know. I know that sounds stupid, and it was not they're a good, so well true. thought out, like no, way of putting are. that.
1: But they're there, and that's and what's like scary. this is such a ridiculous parallel to draw. I think, but like, <laughs> it's like when you look up the sex offenders. You I know? did that to
0: my house, and it was scary. I couldn't find my house under all the red pins.
1: Jason was judging me because I told him I was like, oh, like I'm really stressed. So I'm going to go take a bath and I'm going to relax, and then. I intended to relax, <laughs> but I was like laying in my bath with my bath bomb and my bubbles <laughs> and I was scrolling through hmm, Facebook. What's a good idea? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going through Facebook and I saw somebody share a post that was like Oh like, that you like have watchdog a- thing. Yeah. And so then I was like, Oh, I don't care about that, but I just want to Google it in general. So I Googled classic like local sex offenders near me and it brought me up to like the government like yeah. search. And so I was like, We were we're in the process of looking for a house and buying a house. And so I had all these, like, saved houses in Zillow. So my mindset was, like, maybe <laughs> I have all these favorites. I've got, like, 15 favorites. Maybe I'll search the addresses, and whichever one has the least sex offenders, oh my it'll God. be, like, higher on my fucking <laughs> list. And but like, I, that is something you take into account, though. Yeah. It really is. It is. And so, like, I'm, like, put my own address, which we all know is, like, not in like the best neighborhood like it's not terrible but it's not like great Mm -hmm. it's not like the suburbs right and i searched my address and oh my god it was so many yeah and then i i highly recommend i mean i guess maybe don't i don't know (laughs) depends on what you want to know there's so many like it doesn't matter where you are it doesn't matter what your address is if you go onto the government website where you can put in sex offenders, there's hundreds of them. And it's just, like... And I feel like when you add that, like, that element to a crime like this one, like,
0: sure, maybe they, like, made him drink Drano and they, like, did all this nasty stuff, kicked a pen through somebody's ear. Sure. But, like, why did you got a raper, too? Like, but it just adds another enough. level of, like,
1: just fucking heinous <laughs> crime. I don't know what else to say Absolute fuckery. You like, just stop. Ugh. It's kind of crazy because it's like part of this podcast is like really, which is funny because we're always drinking, but it's really like sobering. (laughs) Is is it sobering? It is sobering. Like it's just so sick. But at the same time, I feel like um, like I feel like (laughs) I personally feel like when I hear this stuff, I try to be more vigilant. Like, and that sounds so fucking dumb. Like, I'm just gonna like no, No, but same. Like, you like pay attention, and then I'm like, yeah just in case I saw
0: that guy was like really kind of suspicious like yeah if anyone asks me did I see a suspicious guy on Thursday yeah I did like yeah. i can, like no stuff
1: down in my brain you so want that, like... to because it's like you want to be helpful and you want to be able to like bring somebody like that to justice and it's just it's kind of like the podcast sword and scale where I feel like his bit that he talks about is like it's I don't know like his slogan but it's like the worst monsters are real Mm -hmm. he says that at the beginning of every episode and it's so true it's like these people people that do stuff like this they're family like in the case of gregory they are maybe strangers like in the case of uh sophie that we talked about last Mm -hmm. week it's you just living your life and doing your job like in the hi-fi murders working there for one week thinking you just have like
0: this cute little side job while you plan your wedding
1: Yeah. And then all
0: of a sudden you were dead. It's it's insane. Yeah, that went really dark. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) No, it's true. It's so true, though. It's kind of crazy. So, like, Jenna and I have been making a document that kind of keeps track of some of our podcast ideas. And it's really exciting in, like, a dark way. because (laughs) So exciting. It is exciting in a way that, like, a lot of people that don't have the time or don't know where to start or maybe haven't really gotten into true crime like I hope that over the course of the next few weeks and few months that we can talk about like some of these that we have are like huge cases like I want to talk about serial killers and serial rapists I want to talk about cold cases and disappearances mm-hmm. and I don't want to even necessarily be limited like while we were talking about the hi-fi murders and the kid that got shot but lived yeah it made me think of like Malala you know oh, that young yeah. girl I've actually
0: never like
1: and it's like research she didn't she didn't around, die, but, but that's just like a crime against humanity and a child. And it's like, I wanna talk about that stuff because just like not everybody knows about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of these a lot of our audience didn't know about Gregory and right. this cold case that's still traumatizing the family and the people of France and that want answers. So
0: Dang. Um, so we asked last time for suggestions and actually I really enjoyed that because yeah, I wanna know what you want to know about. Me too. And you don't have to do any of the work. So if anyone has any, let us know.
1: Yeah, and like some really great ideas that we wanna do. Like no case is too big or too small. Like right. I'm not like we've I've made a lot of comments about John Benet Ramsey, which makes me feel like maybe I'll do something on that case. It is so well-known, and anybody can get the information anywhere. But I want to go through, like, Reddit and find what are the other theories? What are people saying? What is, like, shit that we've never even thought about, mm-hmm. you know? And so I want people to comment. You can comment on our live feed, but I don't think that the live feed necessarily saves when we pull the recording. Yeah. So for everybody that listens to us every week, you can go to our profile, and you can comment on any episode that you want. Mm-hmm. You can leave comments about criticisms you can make corrections on things that we said like there's gonna be so need to do that because we're wrong a lot and if i'm wrong i really want to know because like i don't want to be wrong more (laughs) i just want to know so that i don't do it again yeah so i just i don't i don't really look into doing this for um accuracy purposes yeah mostly just like it's more casual it's like yeah two people talking about this shit in a setting that's like Laid back, and it's not like, oh, we need the science, and we need to be experts, and we need to do all the research. No, I just want to know. I want the the general, the wackiest stuff. And about I want, I want to laugh about it. Yeah. Like, I want to be like, did Bernard do it? Maybe, I don't know. Probably. It seems like it. Oh, let's see.
0: Oh, we have so- not done
1: madeline McCann, but I've. um uh,
0: oh, that's a I've heard of that case. one. That
1: one's. Oof. That's a crazy case. Yeah, and I sure hear that so. I hear that in Madeline McCann, there may be like a recent update in her case. It's nothing crazy. And then Paige said that she likes the idea of having a broad spectrum of all of those. And I think that it's going to be really great to get people's perspectives. Like a lot of the people that lis- are listening now are family and friends that grew up in Michigan or grew up in Utah. Mm-hmm. But I hope that one day, like, Our friends and family can, like, share this so that we can get people who live in other places so we can be like, what happened where you grew up? Yeah. The hi-fi murders happened where you grew up. And near where most of my friends grew up, too, obviously. Yeah. And the case I want to do next week is um, a case that happened in Michigan. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's hard. I have so many that I've added. As they come to my head, I add Mm -hmm. them. I have a case that's based out of Michigan that is insane that I want to talk about next week, and I want people to give us ideas from where they're from. What case have you like? What got you into true crime? Like, what mm-hmm. did you listen to? Because for me, one of the biggest ones that I always talk about is JonBenet Ramsey. I just could not believe that this, no, this... happened, and that we I was so late stuff. to the
0: show for that one. Yeah, I was so late, like the last couple months, mm-hmm. and like having been somebody that listens to true crime for like years. Yeah. Having never brought myself to listen to the John Day Ramsey case, I was like...
1: And there's just so many It just good. felt like because there's so much, you know? Yeah. Ariana said she'll it. find a California one. I want everybody... Mm-hmm. So, like, I know this isn't the most professional thing, and we're still... We have some speed bumps while we do it, but yeah. as embarrassing as it is, we're still getting used to it, and the more comfortable we get... I want you guys to share it with anybody that you know that likes true crime because I want people to give me ideas and share what got them into true crime and their hometown murders because I want to learn. I don't want to just do cases yeah. I already know. Like the one I'm going to do next week, I'd never heard of. Really. So I'm stoked to like sit here and read about it and like share this case with people. So, we already have suggestions. So everybody that's Ooh. commented, I'm just going to like copy your comment and paste it into mm-hmm. our California feed. One. Oh, that one's
0: that one's pretty popular, isn't it? That is not facing correctly. It's not. <laughs> I think it's just the color. So everybody, oh.
1: share with friends and family. Let us know in our Facebook messages, or if you know us personally, text us. And then share with your friends and family. And I hope that we get like a ton of requests. And start. just
0: bear with us. We yeah. are learning. I am not good at
1: at researching and stuff like that and more like we have like such different like i think it'll be kind of cool though because i research a lot and I, then we, i don't <laughs> i think but that the cool thing is like when you give us yours there it's so conversational yeah whereas i i tend to like well with the cases i've done lately i think maybe it won't always be this way and so we'll be able to like chat about it i think that's right. how it should be you know you're just has you have been picking ones that have like a lot He's of detail in my life
0: wow
1: like i need to go easy. and then and then
0: a pen and then a, and then a and then a reno, and then yeah an
1: ow yeah
0: and that was as, as crazy as mine got it's but.
1: it's it'll get good though all right guys we're about to end here so share with your friends share with your family we're gonna read all Thanks your so. comments and please send us more ideas okay bye Like bye. that. Bye.